Good evening, folks, and welcome back on this Saturday, the 5th day of November 2022. I'm your host, Mark Call. Coming up on the date certain where a whole lot of things, one way or the other, are going to be revealed, probably change dramatically, and certainly bring so many things that we're now seeing play out to a head. In any case, we saw a lot of that this week, and uh, I guess if there's a single narrative that runs through it, it's lies that we've been told over and over again that we keep getting more information about, and they keep doubling down and lying even more about. And almost everywhere you look, that's the case. So uh, where to begin? The most irritating story, if not the top story anyway, comes from The Atlantic, which in an opinion piece has suggested in no uncertain terms that all the terrible, tyrannical, pandemic-era decisions over lockdowns, masks, school closures, and of course punishing an entire class of people for refusing to take the Zyklon B injection and thus questioning the efficacy and wisdom of a rushed, at the very best, experimental, no doubt about it, not vaccine. And that for a virus with a 99% survival rate, especially if people were allowed to know about alternative therapies and simple things like vitamin D. But anyway, says the Atlantic, oh, that should all be water under the bridge. It's a little bit like Adolf Hitler coming out after World War II and the deaths of so many and saying, can't we all just get along? Let's just declare an amnesty. And by the way, that is the headline of this piece by Emily Oster. Let's declare a pandemic amnesty. And she didn't even spell that right. Now, it's not that the Atlantic publishes idiocy. We're pretty well used to that. It's the reaction that I think is really newsworthy. You murderous hypocrites, says Zero Hedge's headline. Outrage ensues after the Atlantic suggests amnesty for the pandemic authoritarians. As one pundit put it, there's a lot wrong here. First, you don't get to advocate policies that do extraordinary harm to others against their wishes. Matter of fact, folks, I'll say it. They're outright tyrannical. And then say, well, we didn't know any better at the time. We stunted your children's brains, destroyed their lives, and killed grandma to boot. And we couldn't be bothered to actually look at test data, because you weren't supposed to know that. And you knew darn well we couldn't care less about that Bill of Rights thing. But this one's important enough, folks, we'll come back to it. What I need to do first, though, is set up some of the other things that also kind of help set the stage for it. And honestly, all of these fall into the category of I feel like washing my mouth out or even taking a shower after I talk about them. But still, they're important enough for reasons that will hopefully be made clear that I need to do them. This one comes from, well, one of several variants via the Daily Mail. Really, Joe, says the headline? Biden defends the uh, socialist, leftist, senile nutcase from Pennsylvania, John Fetterman, after the, quote, shocking TV debate against Dr. Oz, claiming that the lawmaker who had a stroke in May is, quote, just getting better and better. Well, that's not the least of it, folks. Biden defended that uh, senile Senate candidate that is an embarrassment to anybody that actually still understands what form of government we were supposed to have as my kind of guy. Quote, I thought he knew what he was doing. I thought he was strong, said Biden. Well, by that obviously low bar. Come on, man. Well, who isn't? And I'll just let that sit there and stink for a second, folks, because sure, Fetterman is Biden's kind of guy. They're both senile. They're both unfit to serve as dog catcher, much less in any position of authority or responsibility. And they're both lying through their blankety blanket teeth to even pretend that they're even remotely qualified. And this is the same guy, notes the same story, who just said he's feeling good about the national election because he's been campaigning in all 54 states. And I got to say it, anybody want to bet how many votes are going to be counted from those extras? 
From there, another story that's getting a lot of national press that, quite frankly, I could care less about. I guess it stands to reason that Nancy Pelosi would be married to a scumbag. Crime families are pretty much like that, especially since, like so many others, it would seem with big guy connections, they get away with stuff that most anybody else would end up in jail for. And drunk driving is only at the low end of that scale. We're talking, of course, about Paul Pelosi, husband of nutcase Nancy, the speaker for the traders, who's managed to work up a rep for insider trading on his own. But, hey, there's more, it seems. Story from QTR's Fringe Finance and Zero Hedge that everyone was stunned last Friday morning when news broke that the 82-year-old husband of the speaker for the traders, Nancy Pelosi, had been assaulted inside of his home early in the morning with a hammer. The shock and awe grew after it seemed to become clear that the assailant, or so we were told, was looking for the speaker herself, third in line to the presidency. And yes, we've heard it all. Of course it's a tragedy when somebody gets hurt, even if they live in a place where it's kind of standard operating procedure, like once beautiful San Francisco. And while it's not funny when somebody gets attacked, unless, of course, it's somebody like Rand Paul of Kentucky, the same people that are also upset about Paul Pelosi were literally praising Senator Rand Paul's would-be murderer when the senator was assaulted and sent to the hospital with a bunch of broken ribs. And to his credit, over the weekend, he didn't return their ire. But it's the rest of the story, folks, and guess what? You're probably not going to hear it, at least not until they get sufficiently embarrassed about it on places like the criminally negligent networks that really deserves a deeper look. Especially since the Waystream spun it and up the ante all week with the Biden Fuhrer reading his teleprompter on cue to boot to the conclusion that the only people really guilty here are anybody who would vote for a Republican. Because democracy is on the ballot. And if you don't want to vote far-left socialist, you might as well just take a hammer to, uh, well, whatever form of government we were once supposed to have. And hint, it was never a democracy. But back to the twisted mass of lies we've seen grow malignantly since last weekend. Said the widely quoted initial Pablum Press story, an assailant broke into the home and asked, Where's Nancy? Where's Nancy? San Francisco Police Chief Bill Scott called it an intentional attack, evidently reading from the official script and saying, this was not a random attack, this was intentional, and it's wrong. Our elected officials are here to do the business of their cities, their counties, and their states, and this nation. Their families don't sign up for this, to be harmed, and it's wrong. And even the usual rhino sycophants chimed in with the usual tripe. And I won't read that. And it's also not in any dispute, says the story here, that Pelosi was violently attacked and wound up at the hospital as a result of his injuries. It's also not in dispute that somebody called 911 and the dispatcher had the intuition to order a wellness check. And mm, here's where the plot thickens, because what they discovered is not what was reported for quite a while anyway. But the problem is that seems to be when the leftist spin machine really got cranked up. They started calling it things like the new January 6th and some of the worst of the worst, like the Wicked Witch of the Election Deniers herself. Pusher numero uno of the vast right-wing conspiracy, Hitlery Clinton, said over the weekend that the Republican Party and its mouthpieces now regularly spread hate and deranged conspiracy theories. It's shocking, she said, but not surprising that violence is the result. And guess what? We must hold them accountable. And that obviously means even if they have to make stuff up, Here's one of the head imams from the jihad squad, Ilhan Omar herself, who tweeted Saturday that, quote, a far right wing nationalist tried to assassinate the Speaker of the House and almost killed her husband a year after violent insurrections tried to find her and kill her in the Capitol. And you know what? That's enough of that BS. 
Courtesy of the story, here's a quick sampling of some of the crap that came out over the weekend, courtesy of the vast left-wing conspiracy that really is running the press. Politico wrote that the alleged assailant, or was he just a little love pat partner, folks, wrote that he, quote, subscribed to the discredited narrative that the 2020 presidential election was illegitimate and espoused a range of bigoted and radical beliefs. You can guess the rest. Good grief. They even had two far-right websites attributed to the man right on cue, which uh, hmm, turned out to have been, imagine this, folks, fakes. As Joe Hoft and TGP put it come Monday morning, the Waystream media attributed two websites to the man arrested with Paul Pelosi earlier on Friday morning, David DePape. But it all appears to be another left-wing farce. DePape was found with Paul Pelosi early Friday morning, both of them in their underwear at the Pelosi home by police in San Francisco. The Waystream media immediately tried to cover for the Pelosi family and attempted to align the man evidently very well-known, to put it mildly, to Paul Pelosi as a conservative. And that, of course, was a great big stinking lie. It's not like there haven't been a number of other questions already raised. I've touched on a few of them. But right for starters, just the idea that a drugged-out hippie living in a nudist camp in San Francisco might be running an actual conservative website, as opposed, for example, to the kind of thing that any good now unemployed Twitter programmer can get a thousand bots to do, should be at least a bit of a thigh-slapper. Here, for example, is how Fox News reported it early on. Facebook, they said, disabled the Pape's profile early Friday and declined to answer questions. At least two online blogs under the Pape's name are stocked with posts from the years 2007 and 2022. Speaking of censorship, big brother, and pedophiles, one contained calls for violence and anti-Semitic content. It wasn't immediately clear that he was responsible for the posts, and San Francisco police did not immediately respond to questions about the Pape's online presence. The LA Times, as you might suspect, also reported on the websites, claiming that DePape's assailant had, quote, been drifting further into the world of far-right conspiracies, anti-Semitism, and hate, according to a Times review of those now infamous online accounts. And guess what, folks? All of it reads like something the FBI could have well put up about one of their informant plants. But the problem is that the so-called websites cited by the Waystream Ministry of Truth supposedly aligned with the pape, were all scrapped on Friday, and as of Saturday, were uh, just plain disappeared and no longer active. One of them, called godisloving.wordpress.com, was scrapped on Friday, shut down on Saturday. The other site listed, friendlyfriends.com slash blog, is also no longer active and was also shut down on Saturday. And it turns out the only activity on the site is uh, really, really fresh. Imagine that. But as we're getting used to, that's not all, folks. We were told it was supposedly a break-in with the bad, evil, right-wing extremist looking for the Speaker of the House herself. Turns out, though, that the glass was on the outside of the home, almost like it had been broken from the other direction. That's kind of weird. And some third party let the officers in. That individual and their function in the house remains unexplained, only to find Paul and his good buddy, DePape, um, wrestling, and I guess that's the polite way to put it, in their underwear in the bedroom. Whatever kind of playing was going on that may have just gotten out of control did involve a hammer. Here's one more of those little facts that should raise eyebrows. That is, if you don't listen to the left stream trying to tell you nothing to see here, move along, move along. During their little uh, tryst or whatever it was, Paul Pelosi told his buddy, David DePape, that he needed to use the bathroom. And I guess that was okay with the violent right-wing extremist because he said okay. So he went in there, found a cell phone conveniently, and managed to call 911. Not only that... 
even telling the cops the name of his friend right there. But seems like later he may have thought better of that aspect. Other questions, too, have been raised, as you would expect, at least from any honest journalistic outfit, like what about the level of security around this generally highly secured, oh-so-important residence of an oh-so-high-profile set of people? At almost any other time, it was said to be pretty much off the charts. Which leads me to the real reason, folks, why I think this story is even worth mentioning. Because somebody, and it sounds like it's pretty much everybody except those who are finally getting around to looking at the facts, has been lying through their teeth about what really went on here. And not only that, they seem to have been using this incident, can you imagine such a thing, to further demonize what they refer to as violent right-wing extremists, even when it's a bald face lie. There's a photo, for example, in a New York Post opinion piece written by Michael Schellenberger, who noted that, quote, DePape lived with a notorious local nudist in a Berkeley home, complete with a Black Lives Matter sign in the window, an LGBT rainbow flag in front, emblazoned with a marijuana symbol hanging from a tree. And see if this doesn't ring a bit true as well. DePape's neighbors said of him, quote, What I know about the family is that they're very radical activists. They seem very left. They're all about the Black Lives Matter movement. Now remember, folks, this is a neighbor in Berkeley, the left of the left of San Francisco, calling them far left. But the neighbor continued, gay pride. They're very detached from reality. They've called the cops on several of the neighbors, including us, claiming we're plotting against them. It's really weird to see that they're willing to be so aggressive towards someone else who is also a lefty. And honestly, folks, I could care less with somebody as clearly twisted as a guy who would have anything to do long term with Nancy Pelosi, arguably is, does in his bedroom with some other guy while she's out of town. Why, who knows? Maybe they were just trying to do for each other what the sadistic pro-abortion child-hating left wants to do for so many little kids. Transgender them and remove their sexual organs. But the bigger story here really is one we've heard before. They're lying and using the story to demonize the people they want to destroy. And you know what? It's one that we should have heard far more often than we did because it's been happening whether or not the waste press got caught those other times lying about it or not. There's an old saying, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, fool me 37 times, kill my kids and destroy my life, and, uh, hmm, shame on me. No, we're far past that, folks, and nobody at this point should be trusting any of the crap coming out of the Ministry of Truth any further than you can throw 87,000 new Gestapo agents. A related piece from Susan Duclos at the All News Pipeline kind of brings the point home. Media has proven to be the enemy of the people. Remember when there was a conservative teenager murdered after Biden specifically targeted, well, at least he read the words on the teleprompter, so-called MAGA Republicans, and said that they are, quote, a threat to this country? One of his dupes promptly proceeded to run over a teenager and kill him, and essentially even brag about it. And yet the media has totally ignored that, because, well, it doesn't fit their narrative. Duclaw observes that Fox News highlighted how long it took for certain so-called news outlets to even mention that murder of a Republican teenager, saying none of the five major news networks, ABC, CBS, NBC, CNN, and MSNBC, have offered any on-air coverage to the attack on Wednesday or on Thursday, according to Grabian transcripts. And I can't help but note we weren't subjected to day after day after day of lies and misstatement of facts in order to cover it up, and more importantly, redirect the blame. Here's another story today. It makes the same point, and you've heard it before, but most who get their news from the criminally negligent network certainly haven't. Military whistleblowers, and there's more than one of them by now, say that cancer, miscarriages, and heart disease are all up at least 300% following the tyrannical and downright treasonous Zyklon B, a.k.a. COVID-not-vaccine injection mandates. 
We're up to three doctors now in the armed forces that have decided to blow the lid on the U.S. military's open deception and, yes, I'll say it again, outright treason concerning the, uh, well, increased amount of negative outcomes. That's putting it mildly, isn't it? Around the Wuhan so-called coronavirus vaccination of American troops. They're using medical data from the billing codes captured by the Defense Medical Epidemiology Database, or DMED, run by the DOD, showing rates of things like miscarriage, myocarditis, cancer, Bell's palsy, female infertility, and all kinds of other health conditions that are all up big time. Cancer rates, they say, are particularly concerning, as the average number of new cases is up unbelievably. It was about 38,700 based on the prior time period before the poison poke. But after Operation Warp Speed, the number of new cases that year rose to 114,645. And there's more. Neurological issues are up a 1,000% in the military following the act of war on American troops. And the three military whistleblowers in question, you've heard at least one of the names here, are Samuel Sigaloff, Peter Chambers, and Teresa Long. And they've all issued sworn statements to the courts as part of a major lawsuit being spearheaded by attorney Thomas Renz. The story reminds us that in early February of this year, Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin hosted a congressional discussion panel featuring numerous world-renowned doctors and medical experts. And among the things that were revealed, there were not only the incredible rates of increase of all of these nasty, unintentional side effects, or uh, is that not even true, associated with the Zyklon B, And at that time, he also observed there appears to be doctoring of the data. Now, he said, my staff has already sent this morning, we sent a record preservation letter to the Department of Defense to try to protect this data because, he said, our soldiers are being experimented on, injured, and sometimes possibly killed. And here, folks, let me make an important observation. There have been more soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines killed by the Zyklon B, and certainly put out of action, than all of those combined, so far at least, killed in Biden's attempt to foment World War III with Russia, Russia, Russia. And when you count those that are already saying adios, or no thank you, I won't join, to commit Harry Carey for Big Brother, the U.S. military is and continues to be gutted. And there's a legal term that fits here, folks. These so-called military leaders, every single one of them that put these tyrannical, anti-constitutional, anti-U.S. defense orders in place, knew or should have known the evil that they were doing. They're without excuse. On the World War III front today... The brief flash-in-the-pan U.K. Prime Minister Liz Truss reportedly texted a top U.S. official after the sabotage of both of the Nord Stream pipelines, quote, it's done. Huh, isn't that funny? As a result, says a piece from J.D. Hayes in Natural News, the former British Prime Minister is at the center of a growing controversy regarding that act of sabotage and outright war. Because it now appears that the British government, too, had at least some role in the incident. One minute after the pipeline blew up and before anybody else knew, said Kim.com, the Internet freedom fighter, to his one million or so Twitter followers, the British PM sent a message to U.S. Secretary of State, sick, Anthony Blinken, saying, quote, it's done. And this was before anybody else even knew what had happened. Explaining how this came out, he added, it's not just the five eyes, and that includes Australia, New Zealand, Britain, Canada, and the U.S., folks. It's not just the five eyes that have backdoor admin access to all big tech databases, he said. Russia and China also have sophisticated cyber units. The funny thing is, government officials with top security clearance still prefer using iPhones over their NSA and GCHQ-issued encrypted shit phones. Even the U.S. Sun has now reported that Trust's phone was accessed by hackers linked to, uh uh-oh, Russia, 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 
They said, quote, in an astonishing security breach, messages Ms. Trust sent to foreign powers and other cabinet ministers are understood to have fallen into enemy hands. And I'll add this. How dare we allow the Russians to know what kind of perfidy we're up to? Her phone was so compromised, it's been locked in a safe at a secret government location. And the hack was discovered during the Tory leadership race while Ms. Truss was still foreign secretary. Some, like Tucker Carlson, still think that the U.S. bears the brunt of the blame, and I can't argue with the logic there. But one thing is clear beyond any possibility of doubt at this point. Somebody destroyed them on purpose, and oh yeah, it almost certainly wasn't the people who were counting on them and spent billions and billions of dollars to build them. This related piece seems to fit nicely next, courtesy of Bill Carter at Natural News. A Russian official is now saying that there are two Ukrainian firms who were ordered to build the dirty bomb now in the final stages of production. Chemical and Biological Protection Troops Lieutenant General Igor Kirillov told reporters in a news briefing back on October 24th, that took a few days, that Russia's Ministry of Defense has data on contacts from the Ukrainian presidential office in the UK on the issue of potentially obtaining these nuclear technologies and uh, deploying them. Guess how they might want to use them, folks? Zelensky's administration reportedly has sufficient research and production potential to make at least one dirty bomb, including three active nuclear power plants and large amounts of spent nuclear fuel. Quote, the Ukraine has nuclear industry enterprises with stockpiles of radioactive substances that can be used to make a dirty bomb. And then he names the three active nuclear plants that contain up to 1,500 tons of uranium oxide enriched to the level of 1.5%, said Kirillov. And he goes on to describe a whole bunch more stuff that might be used to do, uh, well, exactly what you can probably expect somebody, at least, is seriously planning on. But remember this, folks. The more people that know about it in advance, the less likely it is to have the desired propaganda effect. Switching gears, but ultimately only a bit. T-minus less than about half a week now till we see how the planned election rigging plays out. Again, the more people that know about it, understand some of the techniques, and have their eyes open, the tougher it'll be for those trying to prevent a counter-coup to sell this newest in-your-face outrage. So I guess we'll start with the outrage, and here even the Daily Mail is again starting to show some degree of uh, sarcasm. Deplorables 2.0, says their headline, Hitler Clinton blames ill-informed Americans, what else, for rising GOP fortunes across the U.S. and questions whether or not voters, quote, really understand what a midterms red wave would mean. <laughs> and I think what she's wondering is, do they know that would mean her hanging by the neck after a trial until she's dead, dead, dead? Oh, that's not likely to happen, folks, because you know darn well they're planning on making very sure it doesn't. But it certainly does help at least to explain why all of them are pulling out the stops to prevent it by any and every means necessary. Don't think that they won't continue to kill to avoid any outcome even remotely along those lines. And here, I'll admit, I like the way the Daily Mail actually covers this. Clinton made the remarks in an interview Tuesday with MSNBC sycophant host Joy Reid, who asked the scumbag whether she believed voters grasped what Republican majorities in the House or Senate might mean. And the dismissive comments that followed, says the Daily Mail, echoed her 2016 election gaffe, where she called half of Donald Trump's supporters a basket of deplorables who were, and I'm quoting, racist, sexist, homophobic, xenophobic, Islamic, homophobic, you name it, unquote. And we've seen since what they want to do to all of them. And, replied Hitlery, I think with all the noise that we've gotten in this election season, I don't think that people are really able to grasp that. No, you deplorables are too stupid to understand what we have planned for you. And that's all I'm going to quote out of this. 
The story does, however, admit that according to the latest 538 forecast, given that all 435 seats in the U.S. House will be up for election, Republicans are said to have about an 80% chance of regaining a House majority. Well, that is if they actually count the votes, and the red wave is just too massive to cover up. By the way, folks, your host can't help but think that the only way that'll happen is that nationwide, something like about an 80-20% landslide happens for those that are on board with continuing the Bolshevik Revolution. In other words, the fix is already in, again, with the rigged electronic voting machines, probably to the tune of taking a 60-40 landslide just to account for that. And that's before you get to the faked mail-in illegal dead voter and dead pet ballots. We've got lots more after the break. Stay with us. Welcome back now to the second segment of the show for this evening. I am your host, Mark Hall, and there are so many ways we could kick this one off, especially as we work our way towards midweek. The Federal Reserve, right on schedule, took another shot at the heart of the U.S. and world economy. Hey, the dollar isn't dead yet, but when they're done, it will be. And so will most of America. The Biden Fuhrer sock puppet was directed to go to the teleprompter and read a little bit more from Adolf's playbook. Even the leftist Daily Mail's coverage admits it's caused a bit of a fury. It was called divisive, tyrannical, and even patronizing. We'll come back to that in a second, too. North Korea's fired yet another missile, sparking more terror in Japan. Actually, of course, that's missiles, plural. And a so-called judge in Arizona has actually come out and issued an injunction against those who want to try to prevent voter fraud and said, no, you're not allowed to take pictures of people maybe doing illegal things at drop boxes. After all, we got an election to steal. And it's intimidating to have people watch us committing voter fraud. But when it comes to a story that, yeah, really, like all of these others, encapsulates just how far gone down the toilet bowl America is. And by the way, folks, if you think that's even remotely too harsh, remember what every alcoholic who's ever sought treatment understands. The first step is admitting you've got a really bad problem. And that's without doubt more than true. So I'm going to start here. Because, like a bad penny, this story just seems to keep cropping up. And every time it does, it seems to get more and more emblematic of what's really wrong with a nation that's forgotten so much of what people were once fighting and dying for. Courtesy of the Gateway Pundit, the woke agenda being pushed by the globalists and virulent socialists in the military obviously isn't good for recruiting goals. Earlier this year, so-called leaders in the military, which are trying to destroy it from within anyway, announced they would be lowering their recruiting goal for the Army from 476,000 to about 466,000. And despite the lowered goal, and of course lowered bar too, the U.S. Army is still reporting it will miss recruiting goals for the year by about 15,000 soldiers, or 25% of their original goal. Obviously, the fact that they want to force people to take an injection which does nothing except destroy their health, their fertility, and their futures probably isn't good for recruiting goals. 
but maybe the woke military atmosphere and the fact that they're no longer even making a pretense of defending the country has something to do with it as well. As TGP notes, increasingly trans soldiers are given special privileges, while Christian soldiers are persecuted and driven right out of this man's army. Uh-oh, you can't say that anymore, can you? This trans army comes closer but still may not be quite PC enough the way they're headed. And let's not forget, bases are hosting drag shows instead of training soldiers to do what they're supposed to, and military leaders seem to have been replaced by embedded saboteurs. And here's the latest development on this front. In an effort to ameliorate the recruiting shortages that negatively impact America's national security, well, not as much as the so-called leadership does, here is a piece, as much as your host could stand, of a new military recruitment ad that is supposed to speak to middle America. And what it speaks to is how out of touch they are with the Constitution, the rule of law, the purpose of a military defense, and I emphasize that force, and of course, middle America too. And as the story notes, even Twitter users weren't impressed. You remember one of the early incursions by the left into public school libraries called Heather Has Two Mommies? Well, it seems so does Emma. And this ad is called Emma the Calling. And what else, folks? It's a cartoon, kind of like the army itself. This is the story of a soldier who operates your nation's Patriot Missile Defense Systems. It begins in California, with a little girl raised by two moms. Although I had a fairly typical childhood, took ballet, played violin, I also marched for equality. I like to think I've been defending freedom from an early age. That's why I'm the perfect poster girl for an army and an entire military that no longer seems to know what that even means. And one other thing, Emma may be really politically correct. I don't know whether she's competent at manning a Patriot missile battery or not, but I guarantee you she's not doing anything with it to defend the U.S. border. Okay, from there back to the other stories of a nation under fire and losing badly, starting with the unconstitutional Federal Reserve, where the Open Market Committee met the other day and decided, hey, guess what? We're not done yet. Even though it won't really make any difference with the hyperinflation that's already baked into the cake, we're going to raise interest rates another three-quarter percent, which arguably really didn't surprise anybody. But it was the incompetence, or was it, with which it was accomplished that really raised some eyebrows. Here's one headline from late yesterday afternoon. Powell pulls the rug out after a euphoric Fed statement and the reaction, and result, terminal rate spikes. Another one, just a few hours later, from Zero Hedge, the same source, said... What happened will, quote, live in the annals of market infamy as the day the Fed rug-pulled the market, when first a very dovish statement sparked a frenzied buying spree, only to be followed by a blistering, hawkish assault on the bulls during Powell's press conference, leading to risk freefall and the worst final 90 minutes of a Fed day in history, according to Bespoke. In the EOD rap, Goldman trader John Flood agrees that today was a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde kind of day when the Fed's statement, ostensibly written by the dovish Lael Brainerd, sparked a risk-on buying frenzy, only to then crater when Powell said it was not only premature to think about pausing rates, the oh-so-vaunted pivot, saying it was very premature to even think about pausing rate hikes. But he also said that, quote, Incoming data since our last meeting suggests that the ultimate level of interest rates will be higher than previously expected. Uh Uh-oh. 
And as Zero Hedge notes, as the selling accelerated, all the support levels were taken out. Even the S&P 50-day moving average at 30.22 didn't provide any support. The Dow broke below its 200-day moving average. And as Zero Hedge notes, NASDAQ and small caps puked over at 3%. After initially being up 1% right after the first FOMC statement, while the S&P ended up being down over 2%. At this point, we'll take a brief look at the Daily Mail, which seems to want to emphasize the what's in it for the common man. On Wednesday, America's unconstitutional central bank, they didn't put that word in there, as you can imagine, bumped interest rates from 3.25% to 4%. It's fourth three-quarter percent hike in five months, and the biggest rate hike in 28 years. And they ain't done yet. This, they say, is what the Fed's interest rate hike means for you. Average mortgage payments will spike by more than 200 bucks per month. Buying a car or carrying a credit card balance will also hit you in the pocket, or somewhere anyway. Although, oh, and here's the exciting news, folks. Savings accounts could offer returns of 2.4%. Why, that's almost a tiny fraction of what inflation is going to cost you while you're waiting for those checks to come in. And on this score, even the Daily Mail admits that while interest rates on savings might see that small increase... It'll do little to relieve consumers amid the rising, matter of fact, exploding cost of living, which remains high. And here they quote 8.2%, the official number, which is only a fraction of the real number. As anybody who's been to a grocery store or tried to buy, well, diesel fuel lately, just wait till it's not available at all, already knows. At this point, let's put in that eyebrow razor out of Arizona, where a federal judge, sick, has put the brakes on various tactics used by self-described mule watchers, who actually think that if they're vigilant, the dark forces that have taken over Washington might not be able to get away with what they've got planned. Anyway, they've been surveilling ballot boxes by taking photos and videos and posting information online. Often, and I would suggest they'd be fools if they didn't, while wearing body armor and making sure that they're properly armed. The group called Clean Elections USA said it wants to prevent voter fraud by staking out ballot boxes to catch what we've seen so many times in the past and was so well documented by Dinesh D'Souza in his movie, 2000 Mules. In a lawsuit against those mule watchers, named after the film, which demonstrated evidence of systemic election fraud, the defenders of the rig said that the actions of those election integrity groups amount to, quote, time-tested methods of voter intimidation, unquote. And isn't that funny, folks? That's their job, especially if you dare to question what they've done after the fact. They'll intimidate you into silence, and if that doesn't work, right into a gulag. Judge Michael T. Liberti issued a temporary restraining order prohibiting the mule watchers and any other persons, quote, in active concert or participation with them from taking photos or videos of anybody at those boxes or spreading information about the so-called voters or mules, if you prefer, online, as well as making false statements about the state's statutes regarding early voting. Yeah, said this scumbag, it's imperative we balance the defendant's right to engage in First Amendment protected activity, which basically amounts to zero nowadays, with the plaintiff's right to act, he doesn't say vote, he says act, and we know what those acts often include, don't we, without intimidation or harassment. You want to stuff those ballot drop boxes? Well, make sure nobody is paying any attention, much less videoing what you're doing. Get to it. And remember, folks, prior to the rigged 2020 election, this wasn't even an issue. By the way, the story notes that in a parallel case against something called Clean Elections USA, the judge declined to enjoin them, saying he hadn't seen any real evidence that any real harm had befallen any voters. (laughs) I guess real or illegal. Unless you count those who have suffered from the failure of recent elections, to be honest. A lawyer for Clean Elections USA and other defendants, Alexander Colladin, 
said he would most likely appeal the ruling, arguing that restrictions on things like photography or online posting or even discussing Arizona voting laws infringed on free speech. Do you think? Does it really even matter anymore, folks? Saying that, quote, our clients are on trial for the entire state or anybody who wants to participate in ballot box monitoring or even share their views. From there, on we go to the latest sock puppet escapades. Biden is a tyrant, says another headline. I like this one from the Daily Mail. Various Republicans say that the, uh, well, I'm not going to use the word president in the same sentence with Biden, folks, but the guy who's masquerading as such anyway, his patronizing speech saying democracy is not the rule of monarchs and the midterms are a battle with MAGA's dark forces won't divide Americans and distract from his dire record. Did you get all that? Yep. Biden's channeling of Adolf on Wednesday night was another bid to divide and distract Americans. That much is always obvious. He is a tyrant, tweeted Congressman Andy Biggs after the remarks at the rundown cesspool of Union Station and the District of Criminals. You know, it won't stay cleaned up for long. Kevin McCarthy said the speech was proof he, quote, can't talk about his policies that have driven up the cost of living. Uh, duh. And Biden's handlers even went so far as to try to get him to tie the hammer attack, or so we're told, on Paul Pelosi to Trump and his refusal to accept the rigging of the 2020 presidential election. And your host can't help but observe that as they prepare to rig the next one, not even hiding it at this point, it's getting more and more obvious to more and more Americans what really did happen two years ago. But really, folks, if there's a line that absolutely says, thou art a fascist hypocrite, it's this one. When the Biden Fuhrer said, and listen carefully, we the people must decide whether the rule of law will prevail. Uh, yeah, that's pretty clear, isn't it? Or whether we will allow the dark forces and thirst for power put ahead of the principles that have long guided us, unquote. And uh, the dark forces and thirst for power are the principles that have long guided this regime. And he also seemed to make it really clear, I guess hearkening back to those people that have been rotting in the federal dungeon since the January 6th pogrom, that if you have any doubts whatsoever about the, uh, well, safety and efficacy, oh no, that was something else, uh, the veracity of this upcoming rigged election? The only real question at this point is, what will they be able to get away with? You are an enemy of democracy. What do you know what we will do with you? Here's a cute, quick follow-up on the Biden Fuhrer story. Somebody writing for the senile one from at White House tweeted that, quote, seniors are getting the biggest increase in their Social Security checks in 10 years through the make-believe president's leadership. And we got to put sick after that. Context checkers leaped on that one, saying that's because inflation is the highest it's been in many decades. White House response? Delete the tweet. And as Spike Cohen put it, welcome to Elon Musk's Twitter. And for his part, Elon Musk added, the system is working. Now, while we're on the subject, I guess this fits. Another piece from Zero Hedge says, according to Bloomberg, the world's richest man intends to eliminate 3,700 jobs at Twitter on Friday, roughly half of the company's entire workforce, in a bid to drive down costs and hopefully drive up something resembling uh, honesty following his $44 billion acquisition. Musk will inform staffers that are affected on Friday, said Bloomberg sources. And the fallout here is kind of interesting, folks. What with the oh-so-liberal and oh-so-tolerant left putting Musk under financial deplatforming squeeze pressure as various woke advertisers are pressured by vocal ultra-left socialist radicals to drop Twitter unless and until the socialist, hopefully soon, just social media company, is fully MSNBC'd. 
Musk himself tweeted that advertisers instead should support freedom of speech rather than political correctness. And all of that will leave advertisers showing their ads to a handful, says Tyler Durden for Zero Hedge, of socialist pre-approved media outlets catering to those whose entire income comes from Big Brother, who pays zero taxes, and who can't really afford to buy anything. As a result, Musk is under pressure to find ways to slash costs for a business for which he clearly overpaid. And by Friday, at least Elon Musk followed through on one big promise. One of a whole bunch of headlines, this one from the Daily Mail, says, No-nonsense, new Twitter boss Elon Musk locks all of their offices as 7,500 staff members prepare for a 9 a.m. email that will tell them whether or not they can... uh, Go home. Furious workers reveal they've been remotely logged out of their work laptops and removed from various tools as they sue over, get this, lack of notice. Hey, all of us that have been paying attention knew darn well Musk intended to lay a whole bunch of people off, more than half even, months ago. They're really just angry because they seem to be getting a taste of their own cancel culture medicine. And they've been canceled. Good riddance. This next story, folks, from S.D. Wells at Natural News is one that I've got to work in this week. He calls it the most outrageous health tragedy cover story we've seen yet from the COVID propaganda press. As longtime pilot, your host has long pointed out just how evil it is that the same FAA, which says that when it comes to any actually approved drug, if a pilot with a first-class medical takes that during the first year that it's being offered to the public, even though it's approved, there's still risk, especially when a pilot has other people's lives in his hands. Aviation medical examiners know that the regs say, do not issue, do not fly. That pilot is not fit to fly and have a first-class medical. Well, up until we got the Zyklon B injection, in which case they said, hey, pay no attention to what we actually put in the regs. Just take the poison poke, and if you die, we know how to cover it up, because we got an agenda to sell. But now, of course, there's sudden adult death syndrome affecting pilots, too, not just lots and lots of other people. And uh, there's now a new explanation. It must be cosmic radiation because they fly at high altitudes. Of course, they have for decades and decades. Hadn't been a problem up until they started doing something else that we don't want to admit is the real issue. Are more studies needed about the effects of high altitudes and cosmic radiation? Sure. Are we buying this particular whopper? Not if you have half a brain. I alluded to this story earlier, and it is important enough to spend a bit more time on today. Again, if nothing else, for the reaction that it engendered. This comes from Emily Oster, writing for The Atlantic in an op-ed piece that says, Let's declare a pandemic, she spelled it wrong, amnesty. And it begins thusly, and uh, to start with, it's not quite as unreasonable as it ends up. In April 2020, says Oster, with nothing else to do, my family took an enormous number of hikes. We all wore cloth masks that I had made myself. We had a family hand signal, which the person up in front would use if someone was approaching on the trail, and we needed to put on our masks. Once, when another child got too close to my then four-year-old son on a bridge, he yelled at her, "'Social distancing!' These precautions, she admits, were, get this, totally misguided. In April 2020, no one got the coronavirus from passing someone else hiking. Outdoor transmission was vanishingly rare. Our cloth masks made out of old bandanas wouldn't have done anything anyway. But the thing is, we didn't know. No, Emily, the thing is, you were duped. Oster continues, I've been reflecting on this lack of knowledge. 
She ought to read what Hosea says in the Bible. You know what I'm talking about. Thanks to a class I'm co-teaching at Brown University on COVID, we spent several lectures reliving the first year of the pandemic. She still doesn't spell it right. Discussing the many important choices we had to make under conditions of tremendous uncertainty. Full stop. You didn't make any choices, you blithering idiot. They were made for you and slammed down your throat. You were just too gullible or gutless to recognize it and fight back. And it cost you. As I will put it, you succumb to the tyranny, fear, and biggest lies in history. And it's cost, no, not just thousands of people, but ultimately millions, their lives. Some of those choices, she said, turned out better than others. To take an example close to my own work, there's an emerging, if not universal, consensus that schools in the U.S. were closed for too long. The health risks of in-school spread were relatively low, whereas the cost to students' well-being and educational progress, not to mention their lives, I put that in there, were high. The latest figures on learning loss are alarming, and she actually does at least provide one link to that. But in spring and summer 2020, we only had glimmers of information. Again, you were duped, and you were too ignorant to realize it or to even ask the right questions to see through the lies. Reasonable people, she said, people who cared about children, advocated on both sides of the reopening debate. And the only reason some of us didn't really want the schools reopened was because, hey, kids weren't learning anything there anyway, and they were better off at home. Oh, and notice she doesn't mention it, I will. Reasonable people, as she would put it, are also arguing, hey, disarm the schools so that they become gun-free killing zones. And just how well has that worked out? The common point is these so-called reasonable people continue to ignore undeniable facts. And isn't it funny how they always, and I underscore always, err on the side of outright tyranny? Another example, she said, when the vaccines, and she doesn't even get that right, came out, we lacked definitive data on the relative efficacies of the J&J shot versus the mRNA options from Pfizer and Moderna. Full stop. That's a transparently idiotic deception and misdirection. You lack definitive data about the efficacy of anything to any extent whatsoever, and you also lack data about the deaths associated with these things. And as a matter of fact, they didn't want you to find out for 75 years what they were doing to you. And you're still not complaining about that. Meanwhile, though, you are continuing to be a guinea pig for long-term testing that was never accomplished either. And you know they'd have lied about that, too. Back to at least a bit more of the tripe here, though. The mRNA vaccines won out. But at the time, many people in public health, sick, and I have to put that in there, were either neutral or expressed a J&J preference. Because of, say it with me, this is the mantra, uncertainty. Obviously, some people, she admits, intended to mislead and made wildly irresponsible claims. Remember when the public health community had to spend a lot of time and resources urging Americans and, oh, good grief. And here she adds a stupid example that approaches idiocy, and I'm not even going to dignify it by repeating it. But the word, folks, remember this, was bleach. What she doesn't even mention, though, conspicuously absent, is the word ivermectin, or even horse paste, in this same parade of idiocy. And nothing about vitamin D or HCQ, you name it, either. They explicitly, deliberately hid safe and effective treatments far, far better than the poison poke that would have abrogated any and every excuse for the emergency use authorization. And they're culpable. Misinformation, though, was and remains, she prattles, a huge problem. Yeah, we're still swallowing it, drinking the Kool-Aid, and wallowing in our ignorance, even though we're now seeing that people dropping dead may point to a problem that we were unwilling to acknowledge, back when it would have made any difference. Here's where the plot and the idiocy thickens. Given the amount of uncertainty, almost every position was taken on every topic. 
And on every topic, she claims, someone was eventually proven right. And I'll say it, and in every case, it was someone who wasn't drinking the Kool-Aid. And, oh yeah, someone who wasn't on the take. And I guess we shouldn't overlook this either. And in every case, those who were right turned out to be those who understood little trivial things like first do no harm or the concept of informed consent. Or how about even actual scientific testing with honest reporting of data? And if you don't have every single bit of that, you don't, you cannot force people to be guinea pigs, much less propagandize them to kill their kids. Here's what should be the laugh line. Most errors were made by people who were working in earnest for the good of society. No, folks, those are properly called, by communists in the know, the useful idiots. Here's where she goes off the rails and tries to get you to drink the Kool-Aid along with her. We have to put these fights aside and declare a pandemic amnesty. We can leave out the willful purveyors of actual misinformation. No, folks, these are mass-murdering, wannabe, genocidal psychopaths. And let's call them what they are. While she says, forgiving the hard calls that people had no choice but to make with imperfect knowledge. Answer, if you don't have complete knowledge, you don't force people to commit what may be suicide. And if you try, you're guilty of murder regardless of whether you had good intentions or not. I didn't know the gun was loaded. I didn't know that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. I didn't know that the Bill of Rights was actually put in there for a reason. I prattle like an idiot about my body, my choice, but when it comes to choosing life, why, I'm too stupid to even know the difference. The bottom line is this, folks, and let's make sure we don't mince words, and you know that I'm not in the habit of that. If somebody wants to make a mistake and it costs them their own life, well, that's sad, even tragic. But if they want to make a mistake and force you to commit suicide, let's call it what it is. That's murder. And if they do it to a hundred million or a billion people, it's mass murder, genocide, war crimes, and it's deserving of Nuremberg trials. And yeah, after conviction, the kind of execution that such traitors so richly deserve. And to say anything less is a disservice to those who died, showing us over and over again the lessons of history. When Holocaust survivors say things like, never again, we can hope that they have taken the lesson to heart and still mean it. They're doing it all over again. Understand, they're not done, and so far, they're getting away with it. And one more thing, if you have not yet read Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s masterpiece called The Real Anthony Fauci, that outlines just how truly evil all that went on around this thing is... You owe it to yourself and to history to do so before you even begin to give people who push crap like this a pass. They knew what they were doing. It was deliberate. They lied about the data. They rigged the science. There's no denying. They knew explicitly what they were doing. The word is genocide. 